Hi everybody, this is Andrew Levy, another one of our podcasts, and today I've brought along the uh, the person who is the head of our training uh, and development business, Sarah Levy, and she's going to talk on issues which are particularly pertinent and relevant at this stage, and I think you'll find what follows very interesting. Okay, so to kick off, Sarah, tell me... You're going to be talking about the new draft code on the prevention and elimination of violence and harassment in the world of work. Why is this important now? Thank you. Hello, everyone. So we've heard our state president talk continuously about the killing of women and children. And in fact, he's called it a second pandemic. And I think we've had awareness through the last couple of years. There have been a couple of crisis points at which the country has stopped and taken a look at what's going on when it comes to gender-based violence and harassment. And I think the first question to ask when we approach this subject is, is it really such a problem? And I have some stats that I'd like to share with you Mm. about gender-based violence and femicide in South Africa. So the stats that I'm going to quote now are from 2020. They're the most recent stats that we've got. And according to those stats, 26% of women, that's one in four women, have experienced some form of physical violence Mm. in their relationships. And one in five women have experienced controlling behaviors. And that notion of controlling behaviors is quite interesting because we see that, in fact, when we look at gender-based violence and harassment, we're not just looking at physical abuse, but we're starting to look at psychological abuse as well. If we go further, our stats include things like there are 116 rapes every day in South Africa. Um, And our femicide rate is five times higher than the femicide rate internationally. And when we talk about femicide, we're talking about the killing of a woman or a girl, in particular by a man, on account of her gender. So we really see that our stats in South Africa for gender-based violence are extreme, and certainly our state president has called on us to take an active step and to address this issue. So you and I are concerned primarily with the world of work. And when we turn our attention to look at the extent of harassment, which is typically what we think of when we think of the world of work, um, the latest data comes from a 2008 survey. So it is somewhat dated. And that tells us that one in three women in the workplace have been harassed and one in five men or 20% of men have been harassed. I think if we just stop and look at that for a minute, what's interesting about that is that we often have the perspective that when we're talking about sexual harassment, it's a woman's problem. And it really is only concerned with women as the victims of harassment. But obviously, through those stats, we see that this is actually something that impacts both men and women, and that both men and women can be the victims of harassment. Interestingly, one in four, so 25% of employees say that they have witnessed some form of harassment. Um, And when asked, one third of those who have been harassed feared that they wouldn't be believed. And that's quite significant because when we look at how we address this within the workplace, there are a number of myths that have evolved around violence and harassment. And this is something that we need to take into account. The most common forms of harassment included unwanted physical touching, verbal harassment, lustful staring, and messages of a sexual nature. So I think when we look at these, these stats are are quite hard hitting. But the point that I'd like to make is that both internationally and in South Africa, violence and harassment against women, and often those who don't conform to gender norms, is really a blight on our society. 
and it prevents people participating fully in the economy, but also bringing their full selves to work. Obviously, there are equally constitutional foundations for a lot of this, and there is apparently a new draft code of good practice, that's the way we do things in Labour, um, that's going to deal with uh, violence and harassment. Give us some context to that, please. Absolutely. I mean, you raised the issue of the constitutional values. And I think where we need to be mindful is our Bill of Rights and specifically the right to equality and the right to dignity. And that we know from the way that our labor law is structured follows through all of our legislation revolving around discrimination. So if we look at the Employment Equity Act, that's very much founded on the right to equality. And likewise, we have our codes, for example, our current code of good practice on handling cases of sexual harassment also brings through that constitutional value as a thread throughout. What's then happened is most recently in August 2020, our government published a new draft code. And that draft code, importantly, is in line with the International Labour Organization and with conventions that come out of the International Labour Organization. So I think if we take a step back and say to ourselves, so the problem is endemic in South Africa, but it also exists internationally. And for me, that's an important point to remember as we consider this new draft code. The United Nations have adapted a number of declarations to eliminate discrimination and to allow women to participate fully. The most recent is one from 2019, and that's known as Convention Number 190, and that looks at violence and harassment. And it, of course, needs to be adopted by all of the signatories. And legally, South Africa is a signatory, and so we are required to adopt it. And that's the reason that we published this code in August 2020. Those of you who do want to research it further, uh, just in passing, uh, you'll find that the ILO, the International Labour Organization, has an excellent website. Yeah. And if you want to read their conventions, you can easily download them. What's also particularly useful is that if you need to reference labour legislation from any other country in the world, um, you can download it from that site, as well as a, a lot of research and papers. But, uh, you know, you don't, you don't need to do that to understand what we're talking about here. But, says you mentioned that, uh, as we all know, we, we've got a lot on equality and dignity. We have the Act which applies outside of the working place in terms of preventing discrimination. We've got the Employment Equity Act in the workplace, which deals specifically with those uh, parameters. Um, how does the draft code differ at all from what we've got already? So the draft code, to a large extent, continues to codify the law that we have. So it codifies a lot of the case law that's come out, a lot of the decisions from our courts and from our arbitration bodies, being the CCMA. And there are many overlaps with the 2005 code, the code of good practice on handling sexual harassment cases in the workplace. And as I said, there are many overlaps, but I've kind of highlighted five important changes. The first significant change is really this change about talking about violence and harassment. So historically, when we thought of the issue, we would talk about gender-based violence, and that violence we would really see as something that took place in a home environment or outside of the world of work. 
we would focus on harassment as something that took place within the world of work or within the workplace. So we have this quite important distinction um, actually now suddenly merging together. So in a way, if you think about it kind of legally and I guess philosophically, it's almost that distinction between the public and the private. The public would have been a workplace, and that was something where our courts were involved and where they would become involved if they needed to, whereas there was always that veil between the private and what happened at home was not something we were concerned with. What we see here is the ILO and then the South African government acknowledging the scale of the problem and actually saying we now need to take a stand and employers need to be involved. They need to understand what's going on in that private realm. So I think the first key difference is the introduction of that umbrella term, violence and harassment. And we'll start to see that shift where employers are now going to be concerned not only with harassment, but with violence and harassment. Does, does it sort of suggest that there are two separate components? On the one hand, there's violence, which happens at home or outside the workplace. On the other hand, there is harassment, which is somehow something different. I mean, you get violence in the workplace as well. You do indeed get violence in the workplace as well. No, I wouldn't say that the code draws that distinction. The code defines violence and harassment, and it then goes on to define four different types of violence and harassment. My point is that it's bringing the two together, and that very often when it looks at the violence, it may be a domestic or a privately related matter of violence that for the first time employers need to be mindful of. So to be absolutely clear, you're saying, and you no doubt chose the words carefully, that the employer needs to be mindful of what happens in the home. Where does mindfulness begin and end in, in a case like this? And to what extent could the employer be held liable in, in law, in equity, in anything uh, for things that happen out of his home and, and out of his jurisdiction? So the draft code really looks at what an employer's obligations are. Obviously, an employer is directly liable for anything that happens in the workplace. Mm. They have an obligation to keep a safe working environment. When it comes to looking at what the, the employer is required to do, we obviously know that the employer has an obligation to ensure that there's a safe working environment. So anything that happens within that working environment of the nature of violence and harassment is problematic and a failure to address that will result in liability. When it comes to things that are happening in the private realm, be that perhaps a situation where I'm in a taxi and I'm assaulted on my way to work in a taxi, or perhaps a situation where my partner is abusing me at home, the employer needs to be aware and what they need to do is to provide some form of support and potentially some form of leniency, I guess would be the best way to describe it. For example, when it comes to support, it's not to say that the employer needs to provide counselling services, but an employer may have a list of um, resources that are already existing. So perhaps NGOs, NPOs, lists of places where an employee who's being abused could find support. The other thing that an employer would need to do potentially is if there was a situation where that domestic violence was having an impact on their performance, they may need to be more lenient in going through, for example, a performance management process. Mm -hmm. It is a novel idea, but equally I think that this is a very emotive issue and an issue that a number of South Africans feel very passionate about. 
We also see that a number of corporates within South Africa mm -hmm. are taking on a leadership role, perhaps externally, and now want to support their employees. So I think there we need to get that kind of fine line between providing support and being too invasive. Are there any other expansions that we see in the code that, that bring these things in and deliberately shine the light on them and say, employer, you need to be aware? Absolutely. So we've really been talking around the issue of sexual harassment. The code actually goes further than our current legislation by introducing other types of violence and harassment, including racial violence and harassment, violence and harassment of an ethnic or social origin, and lastly, workplace bullying. And that is a very key difference. And I'm going to come back to that a little bit later this morning. I was actually going to raise the issue of bullying because clearly that is something, A, that employers are aware of or should be aware of and, and obviously falls under this broad heading of violence, harassment, etc. And, and clearly the issue of cyberbullying does the code take that into account? The code absolutely takes cyberbullying into account and talks to stalking, bullying, cyber violence and defamation. What we know by looking at what's going on primarily internationally but also in South Africa is that technology is used as a means of perpetrating violence and harassment but technology is also used to cover up violence and harassment. And I think the latest data to come out of the UK, particularly post the first lockdown in the UK, spoke to the fact that almost 70% of cases of violence and harassment in the UK had an element of technology abuse. What's interesting and that we don't always think about when we think about technology is the way in which it can be used. So it can be used, as I said, to cover up information. When we're looking at the world of work, it could be that someone accesses private information about a person, personal information, where they live, details of their family life by accessing a database that the company holds. That could be problematic. Um, it could also be misuse of cameras and technology within the world of work, you know, misuse, that kind of element of voyeurism that could take place there. The other thing which I think is interesting and that gives us a certain amount of insight as well as to how technology is used is in the home environment, it's typically the male head of the household who will purchase technology and set that technology up, which means that they are able to control passwords, payment mechanisms, and that can be quite a significant way in which they can abuse their power or there could be that element of coercive control that I spoke about at the beginning. You know, one of the things that struck me now as you were speaking of the impact of technology is that it extends hugely the, the reach of the thing. I mean, how can I harass you if you're not here? Uh, and as soon as we part company, I can't harass you because there needs to be that proximity. So I think the element of social media really is astounding mm. and the speed mm. with which things can kind of snowball, I guess. But I think the other element of technology that we need to take into account is the the fact that you said, you know, kind of they always needed to be a proximity. Mm. So you couldn't kind of bully or harass me if I wasn't in the same room as you. In fact, when you read about bullying and harassment and particularly cyberbullying, that's an element that I think we all need to be aware of. It means that if we're looking, for example, at a child at school who's being bullied, mm. the, the home would always be a safe environment. Likewise, an employee could always leave the office or leave the workplace at five o'clock or whenever it was and go home to a safe environment. 
environment. The nature of cyberbullying means that it is invasive, means that it can take place at any time of the day or night. Employees are not always aware of the impact of social media and perhaps make fleeting decisions to share information, Mm. memes, jokes um, in a way that can really have an impact on their working environment. So I think we need to be very mindful as employees and perhaps as HR professionals educating employees that, in fact, we don't share everything. It's a very good point, and uh, I I can see lots of... uh positive things coming from that but leads us on to the next thought that uh, uh, strikes me is is there an expansion of the list of people who might be victims or perpetrators i mean it seems to be much much wider um and, you know, traditionally you think of the uh, the boss the person who's in a superior position uh, in the workplace who throws his weight around who demands obedience etc etc Uh, How else does it uh, expand to bring the protection it obviously seeks to uh, provide? You've highlighted the point that initially we think of harassment Mm. as occurring between someone Mm. in power and a subordinate. Mm. But we know already that our 2005 code expanded that and started to look at it was the employer, owners of a business, managers, supervisors, also included employees and job applicants, contractors, clients, customers, suppliers, and others. So it was already a fairly broad list. In fact, the new draft code widens it even further by including suspended employees, which I think is quite interesting. So someone who has been suspended could continue, for example, to bully Mm. employees, you know, kind of colleagues. It could also expand to a terminated employee, to an intern, an apprentice, or a learner, and to a volunteer. And if I look at that, that kind of expansion, what I see there is two elements to it. On the one side is the expansion of the kind of person in authority. Perhaps it's the suspended employee or the terminated employee. Perhaps there's an investigation going on, um, you know, in a bullying situation Mm. or harassment situation. That's one of the first things you'd want to do as an HR professional is to remove that employee from the workplace. And so this code ensures that even though they've either been terminated or suspended, they could still be Um, responsible for some form of violence and harassment. And then, of course, if we think of violence and harassment as an abuse of power, we then need to look at the most vulnerable within our workforces, and those would include the interns, apprentices, learners, and potentially volunteers. So those who are trying to get a foothold into the organization, into the workplace, are easily abused. That's very interesting because, you know, we know from other areas of labor law, that people who are not yet employees, i.e. the job applicant, uh, are regarded as being employees for the purposes of the Equity Act. So, you know, you can cut out discrimination at, you know, before it enters the room, so to speak. But what is interesting, I mean, just from a legal point of view, is that if it expands to include volunteers, they're now, they're now making someone responsible for what happens, making them responsible in labor law to someone who is not clearly covered by labor law. I mean, they're not employees. So it's almost a uh, an overarching obligation to say that anyone on my premises, whatever they're doing there, under any circumstances, I have a duty of care to. Well, 
If you look at the way that the code is structured, both the current code, the 2005 code, and the new draft code, it is doing exactly that. It's looking at who comes in, who is involved, either with my employees, and the key here is that it's that they could be a perpetrator or a victim. Mm. And so initially, or, or kind of historically, our code already recognized that by including clients, customers, suppliers. And very often, it, it may be those situations, we're both aware of cases where it has been, for example, the caterer, you know, who's brought in, they're not actually an employee, and yet they are harassing and bullying others. Mm-hmm. The other difficult one, of course, and it does happen, people now are prepared to speak out about it more, is, of course, the customer. Uh, you know, they're a customer of the business, you're doing your best for them, and they're hugely abusive. And how practical is it to expect the employer to go to the customer and say, well, you know, here's a final written warning? Um, <laughs> it, it's, it's quite something. You know, it, it really is. And what I have found interesting is from one client to the next, they'll deal with it in very different ways. Mm. But very often one can take a kind of more idealistic approach. So, for example, if I'm selling something where the contract isn't of a particularly high value, it's easy for me to say I have a zero tolerance. We will not put up with this from customers. But quite different if you're looking at, say, financial services, where in fact those contracts can run to millions and millions of rands and really have an impact on the success of a business. Well, you see, it just shows you Bob Dylan was right. Money doesn't talk, it swears. (laughs) Um, And there we are. Well, it certainly is quite something. I think you said at the beginning there were five significant changes. We've discussed three of them. What about the other two? Right. You've heard me talk here through the world of work, and I've seen you kind of raise your eyebrows every time I've said world of work, because, of course, you're used to thinking about the workplace. And the word workplace is the word that we find in our labor legislation, be it the BCA Mm. or the Labor Relations Act. So there's a significant change here because we introduce this term, the world of work. And just to that point, even the 2005 code used the word workplace in the title. It wasn't actually defined there, but now the world of work is defined and it's the term that's used. So this is obviously quite a significant expansion. What is the world of work? I don't want to get into a kind of overly legalistic Mm. interpretation of it. What's important to understand is that it's much wider and that it includes things that, and I'm going to quote here, occur in the course of are linked with or arise out of work, including but not limited to, and here there are five different aspects, the workplace, which may include public and private spaces where they are a place of work. So for example, if I send sales agents into a public space, perhaps they're you know, at a taxi rank, or perhaps they're in a shopping mall, that would constitute the world of work according to this definition. It may include places where the worker is paid, takes a rest break or a meal, or uses sanitary washing or changing facilities. I don't think that comes as too much of a a significant Mm -hmm. change. Anything related to work-related trips, travel, training events, or social activities. Yeah, the Christmas party. Exactly, the Christmas party or the work trip. And already, this is not a significant change to South African law. We have case law where they've Mm. recognized that a work trip can, you know, amount to a workplace for these purposes. Again, the point about technology, it could be through work-related communications, including those enabled by information and communications technology. So again, the world of work is so much broader. Mm. 
And lastly, when commuting to and from work. Mm. And if you remember, I highlighted when we first started talking, what happens outside of the workplace is now something we need to be aware of. Well, there's the notion of the commute, and that's significant. I think the other point that I've just been kind of mulling over while we've been talking Mm. um, and is worth considering is when we look at technology, we know that the workplace has changed so significantly and the way in which we work has changed so significantly post-pandemic, post-lockdown. And certainly our reliance on technology is that much more significant. And I think it's really important that this draft code now takes that into account and is saying that the way in which we interact actually includes technology. What's significant about all of these five definitions that I've given you is that the code then says it applies to all sectors, whether they are public or private. It applies to the formal and the informal economy. It applies in urban and rural areas. So that's really significant. It also goes on to say that it applies to anybody um, who's in the world of work, irrespective of their contractual status. So I guess that's a case of bullies or harassers beware. Mm. You won't be Mm. able to say this wasn't a fellow employee. And that last point you make is uh, consistent with um, the the whole approach to work at the moment uh, changing from this narrow contractual view into a much broader understanding of it is a relationship by which work is done and far less focus on where you do it and the hours and this, that, and it goes much, much broader than that. I find that rather uh, a different idea, which you know, for people of my generation may take some, uh, some getting used to. Interestingly, you know, mm. I've read commentary that says that um, the pandemic itself hasn't brought about changes. It's just accelerated those yeah, they changes. Yeah, happening anyway. I guess that's true. And I think if we look at the timing of this code, it, it came about in August 2020, which happens to be right in the middle of the, of the pandemic for mm. South Africa. But in fact, it predates that significantly. If we look at the convention, uh, that's dated 2019. So we already start to see those changes, as you mm. said. You know, of course, many employers will see this as just another burden Um, here is the state trying to uh, make it harder to run a business or trying to impress their own ideology or worldview or politics on us you know why don't you just leave us alone to uh, grow jobs grow the economy and do what we do well Mm. You know, when I first read the code, I had exactly that response. Um, I really, I kind of thought, you know, this is great. We can't resolve the issue of violence and harassment. So what do we do? We look to corporate South Africa to bear that burden. Mm. As you say, yet another burden, yet another form of tax for doing business here. And I think that's why at the beginning of our conversation, I emphasized the link with the convention and with the ILO. Because really, it's not a South African issue. And I think that's Mm. really important to understand what the ILO is saying and what the UN is saying and now what the South African government is saying is that this is a scourge on our society that this problem is that significant that we actually can't address it just by looking at labor legislation or by trying to resolve it kind of in that private sphere we as citizens all need to come together Mm, to address mm, it mm. and I think the next point that I'd like to make to your point about what the burden is on the employer What must an employer do in the face of this new code? 
I think they need to check their policies. They need to ensure that they are compliant. They do need to commit to some form of training and education around violence and harassment. And then, as I've said already, they need to provide support. But I would imagine that many employers are already undertaking yeah, all of those things. I, I think some of them do. I think the last of those five changes brought about in the draft code is the inclusion of bullying. Um, and, you know, you said, yes, initially you kind of indicated that that was almost expected. And I think it is to a large extent expected. There is almost a kind of increasing awareness around bullying, both in the kind of public domain, as well as, you know, from HR people and and from people who are in the workplace. So the new code prohibits bullying. Bullying, it says, is unwanted conduct, which could either be persistent or a single incident. So I think that's important. Certain incidents will be so significant that Mm, a single incident will constitute bullying. But very often, it's just kind of pernicious and persistent. It either insults, demeans, humiliates Mm. or interestingly lowers the self-esteem of the recipient or it creates a hostile and intimidating environment. What they've done is they've said that the words bullying, harassment and mobbing are used interchangeably throughout the code. So we could start to see, you know, the kind of they're, they're used synonymously um, and it can include the physical and the psychological. What is mobbing? If we think about bullying, what we typically, if we were to imagine a kind of visual, we'd see an individual who Mm -hmm. is the bully, Mm -hmm. who directs his or her attention at one other employee or numerous employees. Mm -hmm. So it could be, but it's, it's from the individual to a group or perhaps one individual. When we talk about mobbing, we need to reverse that dynamic. Mobbing happens where a group bully an individual. If I think of mobbing, I think the um, kind of definition is embodied in a scenario that I came across, which is when women in a specific organization walk past the trading floor, every man on the trading floor stops what he's doing to turn and watch her walk past the trading floor. Now, if you look at that environment, a lot of those men, when we confronted them and spoke to them about it, didn't really think through the significance of that, didn't think through how demeaning or humiliating it was for the woman to walk past that trading floor. Well, you know, it's, um, you know the f- first and immediate difficulty is to decide, are you going to treat this as misconduct or are you going to treat it as a species of performance and it can be one or the other i mean a case where people know the policy uh, they're aware of it they deliberately flout it um that is a case of misconduct they're breaking the rule is it something you could fire for first time around well it'll depend on uh, the intensity and the nature and the circumstances but generally speaking no you also have the difficulty that if dealing with mobbing it's a lot of people and you get into collective discipline, there's so many sort of curved balls that can be thrown at that that you can delay the whole thing from, you know, I'm an employee point of view or a union as to make it a very, very complex and difficult thing to do. I would probably prefer to deal with it uh, on the lines of unacceptable behaviour and I would approach it initially by counselling, by explaining to the group, maybe putting them on a training programme and if having done all that it still continues, then clearly there's an element of intention behind it and that becomes something you can then move into 
a misconduct frame of reference. And, you know, if, if you think about similar problems which we have overcome, if you can think of earlier attitudes to race in South Africa and, and, and the use of language which was derogatory, demeaning, uh, and, and just denied the dignity of people, well, we've largely moved on from that. But certainly, you know, if, if I was to approach it and say, well, how would I counsel this group? How would I uh, bring it to their attention? My starting point would be the constitutional's right to recognize the inherent dignity of every individual, because I think that's what this behavior strikes at the heart of. Yeah. And certainly we saw that employees were actually receptive. So when we addressed it, and this was the story came mm, about mm. Um, through running extensive training programs, when we saw that this was repeatedly a problem for a number of women in the organization, they actually presented it to their colleagues. And for many, it was a kind of eye-opening. They had gone along with it without realizing what they were mm, doing. Mm. So I think that your view that one should counsel employees, make them aware that it's unacceptable behavior is right. For those that continue to behave in that way, there certainly is an element of intentionality. And then we are into a, a, a serious yeah, issue. And of course, the whole thing runs into the the legal difficulties in, in criminal law with, with, with rape and the standard male defence was look at the way she dressed, look at the way she behaved, she's asking for it. Let's not even go there. Well, I think we're going to discuss how we run training and how we develop training. And certainly, I'm going to talk a little bit about the myths around harassment. And that is very clearly one. So I hope that our listeners join us for that podcast. All right. Well, that's probably a good note on which to uh, bring, bring this discussion to a close. Um, we are, as uh, Sarah said, going to do another one. So particularly if you have an interest of introducing this in your organization, doing something to prepare people for the code, how to deal with issues in terms of the code's suggestions, then um, stay tuned, as they say. Uh, for the rest, thank you, and keep watching for our podcasts. Thank you. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.